0: This is Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer and let's get into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Hot Forward podcast. This week is a super exciting week for Hot Forward because, drumroll please, our brand new shiny website is now open that's right visit hotforward.beer that's hotforward.beer for articles on brewing and the beer industry and a range of services designed to get you ahead in the brewing and beer business now the reason this has taken so incredibly long to get online is because i transitioned out of working for a brewery and running my own brand of beers to get hot forward set up but if you're not aware why i set hot forward up it's because of this not only am i passionate about beer but I love businesses and I love design and I kept seeing a need again and again when I spoke to different brewers and businesses for help with sales, for help with promotions, help with marketing, putting systems in place and in some cases making sure there were quality assurances and controls in place. So literally it's been a year since I conceived the idea of doing a podcast and turning it into a business and I thought to myself if I was going to interview anyone who's got a flagship brand brews consistently great beers and is entrepreneurial, who would I approach first? And I wrote down a list of three names. And I approached the first name on my email list, Richard Burrhouse, with the email subject line, How Magic Is Magic Rock? Richard kindly got back in touch with me a whole year ago but it was ice as it comes outside and my missus didn't want me driving from Sheffield to Huddersfield in such dicey weather so it took me a year but I managed to rearrange with Richard and he took me around the brew house and kindly gave me some time in their magnificent tap room. As an aside um, when I went back in to get my recording gear and camera afterwards there was a lad in there um, siphoning um, sour beers out of their barrel store and I was like uh, so do you want hand sampling those and uh, sample those I did and some of them were amazing um, so that was the beer geek nerdery fanboy coming out in me um, so in this interview we discuss everything from the humble beginnings of Magic Rock where the beer industry is heading and ask how much a brand is worth plus at the end there's some exciting news about what the year holds in store for Magic Rock if you like this and the other episodes of the podcast make sure you hit the subscribe button and follow us online at hotforward.beers make sure you check out our shiny new website that i build with my bare hands um, at hotforward.beer and here's our interview with richard from magic rock i'm joined by richard Burhouse, managing director of one of the uk's leading craft breweries magic rock How's Hello. It go- how's it going? Good, thank you,
1: yeah, Happy New Year.
0: And to you, yeah. So uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us on the podcast in your absolutely amazing tap room. Thank you. Um, You're very welcome. It's, I think it's a bit of a crime that I've not been here before, to be honest with you. Um,
1: there isn't that many reasons to visit Huddersfield, you know, we're trying, it, we're we're trying
0: to <laughs> yeah, yeah. make more of them. Um, there, there are lots of breweries all over, not um, mm. just the UK, but all, all parts of the world that looks to Magic Rock as uh, one of the breweries leading the way in the new wave of um, breweries. Did you ever imagine that you get to this size when you, you started out?
1: Uh, no, not not at all, really. You know, I have a sort of standing joke that all I was wanting to do was make an IPA and it's kind of got, <laughs> got out of hand, which still still stands, really. I, I was hoping that people would sort of follow the same path uh, I went through. So that was one of get, getting into hoppy sort of cast beers, really. And then, and you know, really liking those flavours and, and that moving into um, a real uh, interest in hoppy IPAs and, mm-hmm. and keg beers, you know, with those higher hopping levels. Uh, but but I, uh, I, I thought that would remain kind of uh, on the niche side of things and I really didn't expect it to go as mainstream as it has done. So that's, that's been amazing. You know, I always always wanted to start a business that, uh, always dreamed of starting a business that would be at the beginning of some sort of craze, if you like, or a big sort of trend in a market. And, yeah, just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, there were obviously predecessors to us. There were yep. Brewdog, Thornbridge, those kind of people uh, doing the kegged and very hoppy IPAs. But uh, we, we were certainly a fairly early adopter, so it's it's been amazing, yeah.
0: So wh- when did it start? Was it 2011?
1: It was 2011. We were. This sort of idea was forming uh, while I was running a, a previous business, mm-hmm. which was an online um, web website that sold beers from smaller breweries. That was called MyBreweryTap.com. So I started that in about 2009 and I think by, well, middle of 2010 it was becoming clear that it wasn't really going to work, it was a bit early to market, there weren't enough customers um, but it did become apparent to me that there was definitely in a gap to make this stuff as well as, um, you know, uh, that, was, that was how we could deliver the freshest product, making it ourselves fresh. Uh, so by, I think, uh, beginning of 2011 we Got brew kit on order. Uh, Stuart had agreed to join us, and we were and we were planning planning production really. And the first brews were about May, I think May 2011. Right. So coming up for our eighth birthday wow, happy this birthday. year, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so did you know Stuart before? <clears throat>
1: Um, I'd kn- he came or. Yeah, I'd known him a few months or maybe even a year or so on social media. He was he was the brewer at a little brewery in Sheffield, Crown Brewery that was at the Hillsborough Hotel. Yeah, do
0: you know I had one of my first real ales in that pub.
1: Yeah, so he he was there and I was impressed with the quality of what he was knocking out on a on a fairly rudiment, rudimentary system. Really, they had a little yeah. four barrel kit, but when he turned his hands to uh, new styles and hoppy stuff, it always seemed quite true to style yeah. and and well made. And I know he, he had some. Um, Good customers locally backing him. I think the, the Grove bought beer of him now and again, and a North Bar in Leeds, particularly they they would buy beer from him. So I knew he had um, a reasonable reputation and thought he could achieve more. Really, you know, if if I, um, if we bought a sort of bigger setup and put a bit of money behind the setup, he would be able to do the recipes, and, and it turned out great. Yeah, uh, it was a it was a good decision.
0: So what was it like when you approached him uh, for the first time it with was, your idea?
1: I think I was kind of discussing it with him without sort of offering him the job and on the fly I sort of said, you know, is that something you'd be interested in? I'm, I've got this idea, I'm going to start a brewery, I want to want to make more progressive beers and, and brand it really well, you know, try and deliver a bit of a full package compared to what mm. what existed and, and certainly focus on keg beer as well as cask beer and small, and small pack which which took quite a long time for us to sort out in the end. but. And I think he was. I could. I could tell he was interested. Um, so sort of, and it, it led from there, really. Yeah, he uh, put his notice in, and then helped us fit out the brewery and the rest of his history, Happy kind days. of thing.
0: So, yeah. so how big were you when you started?
1: So we started with a. I think it was about a twelve-barrel right. setup. So we were. I was conscious, and, and Stuart helped with this as well. And from what I'd read, the research I'd done, that if we started too small, it was never going to make enough profit for us to reinvest and expand and i was very keen always on the on the premise that we would try and put quality at the forefront of everything everything we did and really not just talk the talk but walk the walk and that Mm. meant really reinvestment at every possible opportunity to make what we were doing better than the competition really so so while it might cost a customer a five or more a cask or something we could say well it's costing you a little bit more because we're, we're working harder and we're investing more in the background to make sure you get a more stable, more flavorful, be, ultimately better product. You know, be that through ingredients, process, QC, etc. So, um, and part of that was yeah, a, a kit big enough that it could afford to, to pay the staff, but also afford to make a bit of money to reinvest. Yeah. So we started relatively big. Really, it was it was a twelve-barrel system with um, two. I guess they were. Let me think. They were 25 hectolitre, Yeah. So they were like 18 to 20 barrel FVs. Yeah. So we could do do bigger beers, or or we could max you know max out the Mashton and get sort of good yields off lower ABV uh, beers. And we just had those those two FVs for probably the first I think four to six months. And, yep. and it really was just me me and him. So we both um, answered the phone, took sales. Uh, he showed me how to do the dray runs um, so I could do those while he was brewing. Yep. But, but ultimately, we both got involved with everything. I'd clean out the kettle at the end of the day, get the mash ready for the next day. Um, anything particularly more brewing or technical was him. Yep. I, th- I think I I did put a single brew through on that kit, I think, eventually, but it soon became became apparent you know, that it was better if I focused my energies <laughs> elsewhere. I was having to do the... Uh, bookkeeping and stuff like that and answer the phone and and, uh, take inquiries and things so so yeah it's sort of all all spread from both of us though and i think that being part of the early setup and understanding the jobs that happen in in the brewery were were a good grounding really to Mm. help help us grow
0: i mean what what do you think someone should look for in a business partner or partners if they're launching a business like this
1: i suppose you uh the skill set is obviously the main thing um the biggest tip i could give any anyone is to try not to do everything yourself obviously there are pressures financially on anyone starting a new business but you, you really need to re- recognize things that you're good at and things that you aren't good at i, I was quite lucky in that we had a couple of resources in a, in addition to Stuart, which would be which would be costly uh, to any startup but I, I had them kind of um not on tap but um uh, Available to me, let's yeah. say. So, that, so the first one would be the premises. Yep. And I, I was working in a family business which had an old uh, uh, mill building up near the M62. And the family business is an importer and wholesaler of rocks, crystals, natural gifts, and things, as well as jewelry. And that, that's where the name Magic Rock came right. from, incidentally. Uh, and, and there was an old outbuilding there available. So immediately we had some premises where we could look to do this. I had to sell the idea to my father, who became our landlord. But right. at least, <laughs> at least with. Um, at least he wasn't, you know, going to chase me for money or, or cut off the electricity if we were slightly slow. Yeah. So that that was a, a big help. Although, we, you know, we never did default on the rent or anything. We we operated like a normal business, but perhaps didn't have the same pressure as some startups would have. And uh, the other the other um, uh, asset that I had real access to was our designer, Rich, um, and he was someone I met through cycling. Uh, We both mountain bike together in in a group weekly, and I became aware of how talented he was as as a designer, and he was doing agency work in London, but I know he wanted to move back up north, and so I kind of sold the idea to him, and he just, he did it on a sort of, um, what's the word, contractual basis to begin with, he wasn't salaried, but I I kind of appreciate now that new businesses starting up, to get someone, um, a skilled designer the quality that Rich is obviously an expensive thing so I was very lucky to have that resource um, to hand and I suppose you know that was a bit similar as the situation with Stu again I I was a designer but I didn't trust myself really to do the design to the to the quality as good as it could be or or I recognized it was better to have other eyes on it um, with a view to it having its best chance of working really Mm. uh, those were the those were the main components to begin with
0: so you've been going eight years this year <clears throat> uh, how, how have you seen the beer industry change over that time?
1: Y- yeah, I mean it's, cha- it's changed amazingly, hasn't it? As we touched on before, it's grown beyond all expectation, really. Um, and so, so our relationship with it, and my relationship, really, you know, we've been from been from having uh, you know no, no beer at all, and, and a lot of pressure on us. Know, to get products out because we were so small to being in a better position now where we, we still have great demand uh, but we can supply it a bit easier yeah. um, and and we've kind of grown steadily with, with it <clears throat> as, it's, as it's developed, it, I just had no idea it would be, be so big, you know, for the first probably three, four years I was aware of new openings in the market, we were aware of who the kind of people were, Oft, often knew those people through contacts and festivals and things but in the last two or three years it's it's impossible to keep track of the number of new openings and who's doing what and and quite how big it's become really so that that's sort of not isn't something i envisaged happening mm. you know it, it felt at one point like oh there'll only ever be a, a finite amount of breweries because there's only so many drinkers yeah. but, it, but it's become clear now that that really breweries um, and operate like any other businesses in a consumer market in that the good ones stick around and the bad ones fall away. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I suppose you've got a situation now where there isn't necessarily um, spare demand for new breweries, but there's always a demand for someone doing something better than someone else. So yeah. it just means you've got to be, you know, it's getting more and more competitive from a, from a quality and professionalism point of view in that in breweries have to be better in what they do in that, in all aspects really, marketing, branding and particularly the quality of, of beer they produce and what they do. Do
0: you think as <clears throat> um, the, the market becomes more like that and competition becomes more fierce and, and dog eat dog, mm-hmm. um, I mean we've, we've seen breweries like uh, Bradford Brewery close mm-hmm. down recently, York Brewery got bought out um, or acquired I should say by um, Black Sheep. Yeah. Um do you think we're going to see a lot of casualties forthcoming, mm. or do you think you know a lot of people are just going to up their game? Or I mean, where, where do you sort of see it going, particularly with uh, Brexit looming?
1: I think it's an inevitable there'll be more closures, and unfortunately, but um, it's it's um, it is just uh, you know what happens with a more competitive market. I suppose there's more there's more pressure for everyone to step up and, and deliver better product, and unfortunately, those who can't. For whatever for whatever means because the because the pricing model was slightly wrong or the owners have lost enthusiasm or the market has changed and it is too competitive for them are unfortunately going to struggle aren't they but mm. um, or, or aren't innovative enough that kind of thing and it, it's um i think unfortunately it's inevitable it's, be, it's become much more of a mainstream thing in the same way that say restaurants are so yeah. so people are used to the concept of good restaurants remaining bad restaurants going under and and restaurants having to rebrand and and change things around to remain relevant and i think that the same will ultimately happen with breweries you know you you have a a sort of um longevity of offer in some ways um i I also think things um will become more localized Mm -hmm. which I, i don't see as a bad thing you know we've we're very proud to be from huddersfield and have a have um quite a involved relationship with the local community you know through beat through the football club or charitable events we do at the tap room and initiatives we try and get involved with and I think that's probably we're gonna see probably a lot more of that thing happening as well you know in, in the same way that most local areas have a football team they yeah, will have yeah. a brewery you know it's it's kind of it, that makes sense doesn't it you know so yeah. I think there'll be more more localization and I think I think that has, has happened in America I believe as well so um, that's another uh, consequence of more competition, I think, will be that you know, people will stay local providing yeah. the qualities there. Do you
0: think there's a lot of pressure on um, breweries, or n- newer breweries in particular, when they look to breweries like yourself or Northern Monk or Cloudwater or, um, or Beavertown, mm-hmm. um, to, to aspire to that kind of level of, of greatness and you know, mass distribution, exporting and so on, um, more than thinking, well, actually, you know, I, I am just going to open a, a five-barrel brewery, but, it, you know, it's like a taproom, eatery kind of place.
1: I mean, I, th- I think if you're starting a brewery now <clears throat> and hoping to compete with people like Beavertown, it's difficult because th- those opportunities have, have kind of passed, really. Mm. Um, and unless you've got very deep pockets to, to, to sort of expand the business, uh, the production, the economies of scale and, the you know, your, your ability to run... Businesses of those size, which are quite complicated, particularly breweries. I think to start that now and compete with people who are already established is a difficult thing. Really, I think breweries like Beavertown and to, to, Thornbridge, to some degree are ourselves and some of the earlier starters, have, have, have managed to establish in, in the good times when there was a massive amount of over demand. And now that demand's being being saturated. I think if you were starting a business, you'd really have to look at something a slightly different model. Mm. I mean, not. I'm not saying obviously it couldn't be done, but it would take more investment, I think, to bring yourself up to speed yeah. and get the production level up, and and the level of um, just the level of offering really, the quality of offering, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I, th- I think you know it's, it's probably going to lead to more localism, more people starting brew pubs, perhaps yeah. you know where you've got instant um, retail revenue, so you've got the produ- you control the production as well as the revenue. At retail level, and that's another way to be, to be profitable. Yeah. You know, I know uh, breweries I've vis- visited in America that are a lot smaller than us, but but, uh, but primarily brew pubs, and they'll be turning over similar amounts of money that, that we are. You know, there are there's more than one way to skin a cat. Is yeah, what absolutely. I would say. Yeah, yeah. But but I'll probably agree that it would be more difficult to scale up to a to a you know 10, 15, 20,000 hectolitre plus level starting brewery today than it was three, mm. four, or five years ago. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's interesting actually. I've, um, I've got mm-hmm. a friend that runs a brewery in the States called the Good News Brewing Company mm-hmm. and um, they've got a SS Brewtech one barrel kit and I think it's about seven uni tanks and it, you know I mean it's, mm-hmm. it's not really much bigger than this sort of tap room yeah. you know with the brewery in it as well uh, but they get loads of customers you know because yeah, they yeah. do wood fire pizzas and all sorts mm-hmm. and um, I mean it would be great to see more of that kind of thing but I mean... It does feel a little bit like when you look at the UK. There's still this kind of attachment to just doing wholesale rather than sort of some sort of you know the, the retail side. Um, you know, like you guys got <coughs> the merchandise and all the rest of it. Really, really sort of building a brand. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think people sort of are, are kind of locked into that kind of one? old sort of method of doing things when the market sort of changed?
1: I mean I, sp- I suppose it's what we've been exposed to in the past so that the reference points we had, if you look past the biggest macro brewers, um, you know, Carling and Udweiser, whatever, you know, Heineken, uh, Carlsberg etc, the reference points we had were regional breweries I suppose, so in, in this area you know my first experiences were Tetley's, Timothy Taylor's and things like that and, and those, those brands really spoke to me when mm. I was growing up and I think when I the dream was always to have a brewery which did create some traction in its local area and did, and did have um, you know the goodwill of the local population which is a really difficult nut to crack <laughs> yeah. in somewhere like Yorkshire's you know pe- oh, people are so cynical you know it takes years for them to trust you and, and and you know still today you know people think the only reason we exist is to rip them off like we could be doing it a lot cheaper we mm. just rip off merchants which is you know way off way off the mark uh, as i was saying we that's not the intention to profiteer at all it's to it we're investing to try and make it better you yeah. know unfortunately we're not big enough to offer our product as cheap as some of the biggest regionals and, and macro people yet but i i would hope that um you know that that level of integration in community and stuff like i like i felt like beer was about place uh, you know like you know i, I enjoyed drinking the local beers yeah. you know, i suppose in sheffield it would have been stones or whatever wouldn't it going back and maybe that maybe the way our industry has played out with the crafting is because those were our reference points, you know. Mm. Like for Logan at Beaver Town, it would have been Batham's or Ever or in the in the um, Black Country, and similarly all over the country you've got the same kind of stories. But I suppose the next, maybe the next generation now will will have different reference points and, yeah. and look to do it a bit smaller. I suppose the brew pub is not it's not doesn't have the same foundation here as it has in America. I know that obviously the Firkin brewpubs were incredibly mm. popular weren't they when, when uh, you know 20 years ago when I was growing up but they didn't I don't know it didn't seem to spawn hundreds and hundreds of replicas yeah. particularly and I'm not sure eventually whether that many of them were actually brewing anyway but um, yeah it's an interesting question yeah. but I suppose it's, you just go by whatever reference points you've got from your experience of the product and growing up and where you feel it can go, I suppose.
0: Absolutely. I'd love to explore the story behind your brand a bit more, because Mm -hmm. as as a designer myself, the the artwork from Magic Rock, Mm -hmm. um, whether it was the sort of original circus designs, the monsters or now the sort of bolder, more pattern design Mm -hmm. shapes, that's that's always made me and evidently lots of other people, uh, because you're doing so well, like want to buy the beer. Um, almost, you know, because of, because of the brand and the way it looks, almost as much as the, the beer in the can. Like I, I love seeing those cans on the shelves. I was speaking to someone the other day actually saying that um, who, who can start a brewery, a lot, you know, quite a large brewery, saying um, out of all the sort of cans that they have in their shop, Magic Rock's one of the four. Um, which stands out the most. That's nice out to hear. Of all the other cans. Um, so where can you sort of talk us through the original conception that Richard um, came up with, right from that sort of those early days right up to now, and how you sort of came from there to here?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I think I, because of, I'd kind of fallen in love with American craft beer and, and and was sort of immersing myself in that industry, trying the different drinks out you know the packaging really spoke to me I could tell it was more (coughs) um, geared to a much younger audience it was a much more modern take on beer and I felt like that was something that was really being missed in this country Mm. and so for me there seemed to be a few key things running running through the ones that worked the best and they were uh, a name that resonated so it would be primarily memorable um catchy i suppose you could say but it would also have some basis in reality if you looked a bit deeper into the story i I suppose that's why i I, you know i've realized in the last few years we could have perhaps told the story of why we were magic rock a little bit more but it it was definitely um a decision made knowingly to to give it a name that wasn't just a complete fabrication it did have some some link to where it was you know the Mm. place and, and what it meant you know there was a story behind why it was magic rock The other thing about brands that I felt worked particularly well, um, they needed, again, they needed memorable names for the beers, uh, but they would have a theme running through them, something to pin the design to, and and something that would suggest continuity to the consumer, so they could mentally, they'd know it was a Magic Rock beer, they'd be able to, you know, put a link between, well, the obvious ones, cannonball, human cannonball, you know, but those... Just names that were memorable. Really, I, I felt like we had much more of a chance if people drank the beer and and could remember the name when they told someone, "Oh, I had this mm, great beer yeah. the other night." If they were like, oh, "I can't remember what it was called," it's <laughs> yeah, kind of no that's good, not you know. Help, is it? <laughs> no. So, I, I, and I think ever since we just we tried to really adhere to that and and come up with memorable names that either had a double meaning or just fit with the ethos. I mean, it's not completely been. The circus sideshow thing. It's loosely has been, and then we've gone off on tangents. even from the beginning, some of the names weren't Sideshow and Circus, so Rapture is yeah. not, you know, but it's it sounded like a good name uh, for a red beer, it had the alliteration of the R and just felt, I don't know, that one fit. Um so so what we what we did with the actual look of it then um around the theme was I think some of Rich Norgate's work that I really liked, he'd done uh, he'd done some work on an Arctic Monkeys album cover, which was, right, okay. I think it was Favourite Worst oh, Nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So that had some pictures and some houses, didn't it, and character-based uh, stuff kind of inside. I that now, yeah, yeah. He did that as part of a collective, I think. It wasn't just him, right. but if you look back at his um, portfolio, there was a lot of character-based stuff. I think at the same time, I was really into um, uh, the Super Furry Animals, and I liked Pete Fowler's artwork on mm. that, which is like monsterism, these Japanese kind of small... Um, they like monster worlds aren't they with, with cra- yeah, yeah. crazy little sort of cartoony type characters and I was like well can we look to do something along these lines you know because I'd seen other brands in America be it Three Floyds or I there were others you know they're using this a sort of the word I was using is idiosyncratic it, it mm. was appealing but you weren't really sure why it was appealing and I thought that would be a good hook but th- there wasn't really any more um, reason for it being sideshow and circusy other than a a sort of tenuous link to the word magic it just felt like they were magical kind of characters or something i don't know um so i really pushed him down that down that road and it worked really well you know i think in the last year or two we've decided to change it a little bit but it did help um as you say establish um the sort of look and feel of the brand in people's in people's minds whereas previous to that i don't know if that was happening that much with beers you know people were loyal to brands but it wasn't the branding yeah. that was speaking to them as well so I, I it worked you know It worked amazingly well for us and I'm, I'm glad we went down that route but it was essentially because I'd seen that similar sort of approach working in America I think um, and just felt like we needed a needed a, a similar thing for us but I suppose one, once we got to the name Magic Rock things sort of followed from there it was never going to be kind of um, it was never really going to be Paul Daniels-type magic. It had to be <laughs> yeah. something a little bit kind of more surreal. And so we went with this kind of loosely... Loose-to-magic, circusy, sideshowy sideshow-y kind of vibe mm. with it, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and it, it just developed from there. Really, one decision led to another, led to another.
0: So how did you decide <clears> then um, last year to sort of go... To, you know, to sort of take the monsters away and just go with the sort of um, geometric sort of patterns and shapes?
1: Uh, well, I, th- I think... I mean, Rich is kind of, uh, the, our designer Rich Norgate is endlessly kind of creative anyway and he's always, always been trying to progress the brand on, you know, we've, we've changed things subtly as we've gone on, um, and I suppose when we got the can in line and moved to the new site in 2015, we did start um, in addition to wanting to produce the core can range, we wanted to do specials, mm. and to begin with we thought, well how can we make the specials different, uh, you know, and the idea originally was to do a labelled version of the character-based artwork, we put it on and, and it would look like a sort of prototype, yep. and then if it worked, we would move it into the, into the core range. But I suppose through that period, which was about uh, back into 2015 and going into 2016, this the thirst for new, 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 new special, special, special seemed to gather pace in yeah. the in the craft beer side of things. You know, it it had always kind of been there in the real ale mm. thing. That was the tickers market yeah. that still exists now. You know, it was every every beer from Brewery was a different one every time. And I think <clears throat> as part of that, I think it, I can't remember whether I asked him for it or he or he did some sort of different design work. Um, as part of that and it was just incredibly well received really so I think Phantasma was probably the first one that he did this new style artwork on and it was so well received it was a Label 500 to begin with yep. that uh, we thought well we've got to put that one into three 30mm core range really and at that point you're like well do we go backwards and do, you know, do the little characters for Phantasma so it fits in with the others or do we move forward with the bold new design which to be fair looked more has more contrast, seems to be bolder on the shelf and stand out more, so I think we made the decision to stick with the design as it had been in the 500 labelled can and bring it down to a 330mm size and then once that decision is made you kind of you've made that shift where we are going to update the other ones at some point I I think we'd also mentally I mean we we weren't tired of the old branding but when we first brought that branding out, there was a lot less competition on the shelves. Yeah. And I think we always wanted something that would, we always wanted a brand that would appeal to those that were in the know, in a way. Like wouldn't need to be, you know, we've always shied away from having the logo too big on front and center of the can, because we didn't think it was, it was necessary. You know, it, it should be something that spoke to people who knew the product and, mm. oh, that's Magic Rock. Yeah. You know, the brand should be recognizable. So we wanted to, com- we wanted to continue that. Uh, we were also, I think so, and we were aware that competition-wise, we were starting to get a little bit lost on the shelf. Maybe as we're starting to look, we had we had this thing where it didn't want to be too showy, but it was almost hiding a little bit now. It wasn't standing out as much as we we would like on the shelf. Um, I mean, to be honest, I would. We were also. Or I personally was also slightly worried about like the Portman Group and the and the character-based stuff. I wasn't sure yeah, like as, as we started to go into supermarkets and things whether how well that would sit. I know a few people in you know, a tiny rebel. Yeah, tiny rebel so. I think Beaver Town had an approach by them as well and could have been a lot of trouble. I mean, to date, Touchwood we haven't we've never had um, an approach and I suppose now as we as we've changed to more um, pattern-based, uh, less character-based design, we, we hopefully won't get one. But that that was a you know, something that I thought about a lot as well. Um, and I just I think it really suits his um, his design style as well. I, he, I think he, well, he'd tell you himself, but I think he always did a lot of um, pattern-based kind of design as part of his degree and had done some of that when he was um, an agency designer in London and stuff. He'd, you know, he'd done stuff for, I don't know, swimwear and things like that where pattern is more more relevant and i think it it really suits his design i'd I'd sort of pushed him into the character (laughs) based things i knew he was good at it but i I, even i i'd admit now that the i think the pattern based stuff looks looks even better really and yeah we've been delighted with the response and it just feels like it all sort of sweets a little bit better now you know it fit the small ones fit in with the big ones there's there's endless room for creativity within it because the character based stuff was a bit more fixed it was Mm. more work for him to create more scenes i guess with yeah. that so um yeah that that's loosely the thought process okay. behind it yeah
0: it's kind of nice that the um, cannonball run were the last ones with the sort of character, the monsters on the characters mm-hmm. um you know now you mm-hmm. sort of moved to these um sort of fresher designs do, do you find it challenging having to try to sort of stay ahead of the curve because like as, as you sort of alluded to earlier um you know that a lot of breweries look to those that are innovating and try and mimic it and, and, <clears throat> and copy it you know and, and jump on the bandwagon i know it's why cloud water took off their recipes from their mm-hmm. cans because they were saying you know, everyone's doing these um, cover song double ipas yeah, yeah. Um, and we want you know you need to innovate mm-hmm. um do, do you think that's a pressure for for breweries like yourself to sort of be always be sort of running you know, to stay ahead of the curve.
1: Yeah, um, definitely, you know, I, I think um, genuine innovation is difficult at this point point. and I suppose there always was a kind of copying procedure in a way anyway, you know, there isn't, um, even the stuff Cloudwater would, were doing would have been tweaks on things they'd seen elsewhere, mm. America or elsewhere, and same with us really, so, you know, I think genuine innovation is really difficult there is pressure to make new products and we would we try to make the things that we like to drink i know that's a bit of a cliche but we try and value the kind of balance and the drinkability of anything yeah. anything we make in, in our products which which we hope will will have genuine longevity rather than just sort of shouty look how mm. look how thick and milky this is look how sweet sweet <laughs> yeah. this is but I think, you know, we are also a bit more mature in the market and anyone coming into it is looking to differentiate themselves from what's gone before. So there's there's an element of, of of all those things happening, really. And we I think I'm conscious of our place in things and the things that inspire me now about beer are not necessarily what inspired me when I started. And I think we've just got to be true to ourselves and be creative for the right reasons, really. Mm. So there's there's an element of giving the drinker's what they want but we would always you know I would always try and make them magic rock versions of of whatever else exists yeah. or or you know tweak them tweak them in certain ways but there is definitely pressure on on people uh, to innovate and offer something new um, i suppose at a very basic level it's every new beer you make is going to be you know there are there are so many different combinations of of hops and malt you can put together there's going to be something different about everything you make but a genuine jump forward in innovation I think is is difficult now because so much has been brewed all over the place hasn't it how
0: much do you think a brewery should be investing in its brand
1: well that's a tricky one I suppose we we, because we've invested a lot of thought in it uh, but I've I suppose in some ways I've had it slightly on the cheap, you know, we, because I had this connection um, with Rich, um, I, I couldn't put a, a level, I couldn't put a number on it, but I, I know how important it is yeah. to get, you know, to be, to be, what, um, to just get yourself out there really. I, we were lucky that the growth of our business coincided with social media, which allowed us that visual representation, you know, that a lot of breweries that started before us wouldn't wouldn't have had the access to as easily without going through mainstream marketing channels which are very expensive, aren't they? So I think now you can socialize your brewery and advertise it for free, you know, your branding becomes even more important really because you've got people can't taste you through the screen, can they? But they can certainly see what you're about and and I think the level of quality within your branding I always thought spoke to the level of quality within your production. Mm. So I think, it, for me, it was aligning all different elements of your business so that they were all in harmony and told the same story. Magic Rock is quality because the beer's quality, first and foremost, the branding's quality, but when you're dealing with the people within the business, they should be quality too, you know, and, yeah. and if you're a supplier selling them, you, they should deal with you in a quality way. You should, you should get paid. You should. I don't, you know, the whole premise is about the whole business, um, everyone being on the same page and singing the same tune—it's no good if your branding's excellent but your product's crap. Yeah, it's no good if your product's excellent and your branding's crap or your people are crap. So it's about—it's all parts of it to me. Um, That—that's what I was trying to achieve. You know, we've—we've—we've we've, we've done some of it with reasonable success. Other so bits we could do better. You know.
0: I think that's a common misconception about branding um <clears throat> that people think a brand is a logo and it's it's not i mean that's one of your brand identities but like mm-hmm. your brand is much about how your dream and turns up uh, what they're wearing how they talk to the, the landlord yeah. or, or how the receptionist answers the phone and or do you know that the, the whole thing like the whole business is your brand and your package
1: i completely agree you know especially with something as personal as as food and drink because you really asking people to consume something yeah, yeah, you 've produced yeah. <laughs> so your branding and the way you the way you create it and the way you uphold it is should really feed into their decision making they want to feel trust in, in the product you 're creating for them so for example, you know the tap room we 're in now it was it was wonderful to to finally get this because it allowed us to show people what we 're about and, and and how we like to operate, how we like to treat people, the level of service you 'll receive but but right, also right down to you know what there'll be. There's plug sockets. There's coat hooks. There's information. You know, there's soap in the toilets. You know, if there isn't, it breaks my heart. You know, th- those sort of things, I felt were really important. Um, I mean, for any business, but what I particularly want for my business was to, you know, really follow through on the promise of what we'd created. So um, yeah, that's uh, something really important to me. Mm. I'd say.
0: Not only do we get um, folk within the beer industry listening to this podcast, but we also get a lot of people in business um, mm-hmm. who are interested in sort of <coughs> insights from a manufacturer's um, business point of view yeah um, how would you say that running a production brewery differs from any ob- any other business out there and what are sort of some of the unique challenges to running sure. a business like this in comparison to like a um, like you said earlier like a, a business that sells crystals and minerals
1: uh, yeah yeah, it's an interesting question. Really, I was only ever an employee beforehand, so I suppose this is my first business. Second, no, well done. Sec, sec, <laughs> second, if you count the the online business I did, um, I, I think
0: that's a good batting average.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's not. Well, I had one failure with the online thing, but I suppose that that taught me the level of passion and dedication that would be necessary to, to push things through. I think the main thing I found with the the brewing industry is is kind of. Uh, as a challenge is is how sort of um, it's quite a complicated business. There's there's a lot of things going on, um, and you know we often say uh, every day or every week generally brings new problems. I, I tend to be more uh, heading up the sales team now, really, and obviously we meet in a production uh, capacity as well, and I'm heading up the business. But I know from the brewing side of things, it, it's a more or less a constant problem-solving exercise, so it takes people with good patience um, and good stable character really to work in, in, in a business like this because things go wrong continuously mm. and it's how you learn from them and how you, um, you know, make the right decisions to navigate them, navigate through them and it, it, it can be very frustrating when it feels like we don't learn from things that might have gone wrong in the past generally, generally speaking you know, you, we don't tend to make the same problem more than the same the mistake is probably unfair, but the same situation happened more than once, but it's such a, a complicated uh, process, the brewing process, and now and everything you feed into it as you make it into a bigger business adds layers of complexity
0: mm.
1: that small things going wrong can have a, b- a big knock-on effect. And I'm sure that's similar in other businesses too, but it's probably truest to production where, where you, you're constantly aware that if you're not producing or... or, or throwing something away as an opportunity cost you know yeah it's it's the same question as if we were, if we were going to expand how do you do it without stopping production you know you mm. can't we can't remove the brewery, the brewery from where it is now and put another one where it is without forfeiting 6 to 8 weeks of sales yeah. which is at this stage has got to be quite a lot you know enough of amount of money that you wouldn't want to bridge it by borrowing so it it those sort of things are things I've learned as I've gone on really and and you know i'm amazed we've got as, as far as we have i think i've been very lucky to find good people um, who were who were capable of running themselves a lot you know and and, um, and sh- showed good uh what 's the word um, initiative mm. um, and we're, and were able to run with it and and believed in what we were trying to achieve as far as a quality uh, perspective you know i don't one thing I really hate is conflict and I never wanted to be a manager who was running around shouting at people yeah. or screaming and bawling so I'd hope that you know even even though we, are, we have a happy workforce I hope and I don't you know they don't get sort of uh, there's a lot more carrot than stick let's say but you know I have to recognise when things have gone wrong or are going wrong and act, you know, and you can't not do that if you want to to run a a reasonably successful business or grow it to a certain size. You've got to make hard decisions, get rid rid of people who aren't working effectively or don't fit in with the system. I think, yeah, the, pr- the production thing has, has surprised me, but I suppose there are many other production businesses with complex processes, but yeah. brewing seems to have a never-ending <laughs> <Yeah>. sort of <laughs> series stops, of, of challenges. <laughs> there's so many things that can go wrong, yeah, um, um, be, it, be yeah. it recipe-wise, maintenance-wise, quality of ingredients. There's yeah, there's so many, Tendless, things, there's so many things to consider.
0: Um, a lot <clears throat> of people go into running a business, and I would imagine particularly uh, like a beer business, whether it's a production brewery or a micropub, Without thinking of the long-term ramifications, um, you know, because because it's you know it's sort of snowballed over the last sort of ten years. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people have sort of just sort of jumped in. How should you think about the long-term succession of a business and um, or the sale of a business like this? I mean, should you even be thinking of that when you know you maybe just a few years old?
1: To, to be honest, we <clears throat> have never thought about it until I mean it's crossed my mind because I see things happening in the market, but you don't entertain those thoughts until you're looking at where where money will come from mm. for the next step I suppose and, and to date we've, we've managed to run successfully with uh, loans and I've sold a few shares as we've gone on uh, in, the, in the first instance we had uh, family investment um, but I definitely didn't start the business with that level of long term view I'm not, I'd be surprised if people are doing especially in the craft industry because the major dream or goal at the beginning of most people in my position I think is just to make beer you know to get people to drink your yeah, beer yeah. and enjoy it and I suppose once once you've done that and then if you're successful you're, you're very busy keeping up with demand and expanding really so yeah of course you know I've had, I've had thoughts like that but they, they only develop as you move forward as a business I think and you see what's Going to be necessary to move to the next stage, or to, or to you know to really take you forward. They're a kind of a natural progression, I think, which is the way it should be. You know, I think it'd be fairly cynical to start in the first place with a vision that that you're going to go through a, yeah, a process right. like that eventually. So, yeah, I mean, I can only, as I say, I can only give you my own experience with that. So,
0: yeah. Mm. Then on the flip side, so on the sort of day-to-day stuff. I mean, you said you, you're a family man. Um, like, how do you? <clears throat> How do you sort of keep that family time sacred? Because it can often quite feel like your business sort of encroaches every aspect of your life all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it It does, doesn't it? I'm not sure how successful I do do it. You'd have to ask, have to ask my wife, really. <laughs> I suppose I've, I've kind of... I think I've learnt in the last couple of years to, to compartmentalise it a little bit. I think that's just been a natural sort of maturing... As the business has matured, I've sort of gone through that process as well of, of being like super excited 24 hours about everything and the next thing we're doing and I suppose I suppose you just you just as I say mature and sort of grow more experience with the with the way the business works and what you do in it things aren't new the second time you do them are they so mm. so it's still a really exciting thing to do but I love I also really love now switching off um spending time with the family or or if I'm going out for a drink I'll probably try and uh just go go to a local or something with someone out who's not in the industry at all yep. and I quite enjoy you know just do you want to be a beer? yeah I'll have another one you know I don't have to think about what it is <laughs> <coughs> consider a long list
0: yeah <laughs> you know as
1: long as the quality's fine I'm reasonably happy so that that's a sort of I must have made a mental shift because I think at one point I would have I would have perhaps yeah not necessarily wanted to go to places that didn't have mm. really good craft options and uh, but you know I'm I'm uh, I think I'm a realist uh, generally, and, and particularly with beer, you know, so if I'm on holiday you're drinking whatever the local beer is, aren't you? I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm quite comfortable with people having drinking other things than craft beer. I, I, mm. I think I have a good understanding of its place in the scale of things, yeah. and, and, and kind of, I'm not too dogmatic on that, really.
0: Just as <coughs> an aside, um, it's interesting you say that, because I've, I've found over the last half of the year that I'm starting to pine just like a a normal pint (laughs) you know something that's sort of well balanced you know Mm -hmm. it's not going to sort of smash your face off um do you think there's a sort of move to that in beer drinkers you know because there was there was a sort of fact where it was double ipa (coughs) as strong as it gets all the time and um do you think that beer drinkers starting to feel beer fatigue with all the choice that's out there or or do you think that's just sort of just getting
1: older Uh, it's probably a combination of both really i mean if you're a beer fan you're a beer fan aren't you really you know just just because i had a a massive thirst for ipa didn't mean everything that had gone before was crap you know like the pints of uh landlord or whatever were were bad beers or or you know any any local well-made cast beer i think i think really what you've got now is a position where there's just so much more choice isn't there so yep. so now it, it is an option which is great you know if you fancy something hoppy you can get one and I think people like ourselves or who've been in the industry a while have probably just had so many IPAs by this point that, it, <laughs> it, that you, as you say it is, a, it is a slight case of fatigue so what you were used to before becomes a bit more uh, desirable <clears throat> and it's no surprise probably that coming from this area like we both do, we both like that style of drink because it's in our, in our heritage really, mm-hmm. it's what I was brought up on, I enjoy volume drinking of, of cast beer and it's why we've always produced it here and always will do. Um, but I like the fact as well that now there's a lot of choice, if I'm at home I don't want four pints of cast beer, I might want a nice IPA you know or even I might want two or three cans of a Session IPA yeah. but there's, there's a choice there. I think the main thing I've noticed is I've Got to know more about the industry and working in the brewery is the is the quality thing and that bothers me you know if if you get served a bad quality pint or you can taste that some keg lines are dirty and the beer doesn't taste right that's depressing so i think that's the next mm. the next step for everyone who's more uh you know who has worked and lived in in this period of craft beer boom i suppose that's what everyone should be fighting for and looking for is is a step up in quality across dispense i would say and, and more knowledge in the market, so that people can pick out when things don't taste right. Yeah. Because, you know, that that should be the thing that is the um, is the deci- is the deciding point of the market over whether something's good or bad, whether mm. it tastes fresh and true to style, or whether it's old and knackered. You know that yeah, that's something that needs to change, really.
0: Well, I went to um, a pub not not too far from the <coughs> hotel, actually. Um, sort of back in the back end of last year, where they had one of my beers on, mm. and um, the person. Serving it, didn't recognise me, um, <clears> and you know I, I sat down with it and I said to my wife, "That that should not taste like that." Yeah. You know, it's there's, there's something wrong with that. It's a you know, horrible, it's, a
1: horrible moment, isn't it <laughs> is it?
0: You know, and I'm thinking like, but you know, because if you get people who go on and tap like, this is crap, you know, and I'm just kind of like, well, it didn't leave the brewery, crap. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, but, it's but a difficult people just
0: see your brand, mm-hmm. your your badge, your beer, um, and think that you, you're the one at fault. Yeah, uh, it's.
1: A, I mean, it's a, a pretty complicated. Uh, <clears throat> discussion really because that you could argue the the success of macro beer is is down to the its their ability to to um, you know continuously create uh, a kind of uh, even though the beer can be bland it's it's generally in it's good condition bland, it's consistently yeah, yeah, good but but I mean you'll know as well the sort of the throughput of beer is very important to how fresh it is it. Mm. D- it the more volume it's drunk in, the more chance it has of being in good quality. So yeah. you've got this kind of, um, you know, it's a, a sort of confirming circle, really. Uh, yeah, I've, you know, I've recognised that for a long time. And it, it is depressing when you go places that don't look after. Well, it's not that they don't look after it. They might not have enough custom to get the mm. beer through the taps quick enough and there are financial pressures and it, it's very difficult. Yeah, isn't they it? can't but, just dump
0: it, can they? <laughs> no,
1: uh, in many cases they can't. But, it, but it's self-perpetuating in that, mm. you know, people will taste it not enjoy it and then not drink it and you yeah. kind of you kind of back square one i think this is the secret that all the big brewers realized quite a long time ago and that's why uh, big brewing controls you know such a large percentage of the of the beer market because they've got that bit cracked yeah mm-hmm.
0: what would you say the biggest mistake you've made in businesses if you wanted to share <clears throat>
1: um the biggest mistake i've made that's difficult, really, because I know this is gonna sound like some management crap, but the, I think <laughs> I think in I've learned that in business a mistake is just a learning point, mm. really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you know Touchwood. There hasn't been anything that's been anything that's been really damaging, or or you know that, that wasn't that was foreseeable. You know, there weren't. There haven't really been decisions that feel like have gone completely the wrong way. Um, you'll have to let me think about that as we go on, because obviously there are things. You know, there mm. have been there have been, you know, maybe production decisions or or uh, things around marketing or branding or or even employees where I think, oh, I wish I'd have acted earlier. But there were reasons why there are reasons why things carry on, and I can I'm quite happy to kind of. Um, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with, with the decisions I made and recognise those things as things you can learn from going mm. forward, so it would be hard to pl- place one actual mistake. I, th- I, think, I think at a fundamental level I, I would say we'd have probably been a bigger brewery quicker yep. and would perhaps be in a better position if we'd have, for example, started in Leeds. Or started in Manchester eight years ago, Mm. but I would have never, never done it because I love Huddersfield in the area. And one of the things I like about being here is the authenticity of, of that I'm from Huddersfield and I created a brewery here, Mm. you know. And I enjoy that it has that level of localism. So that's not a mistake. But I did, I recognised that a while back. I was thinking, yeah, we could be doing even better if we had a, a lot more, you know, businesses of the type that want our beer locally. It's, it's tougher in a smaller town like yeah. Huddersfield than it is in somewhere like Leeds but but yeah, I don't, I don't regret that I'd That's
0: say. a wonderful thing Yes, yeah, yeah <laughs> What advice would you give to any other independent craft brewery out there that's just trying to make mm. ends meet?
1: It's, it's really difficult because I think the, thing, the things that have worked for us were not we're not doing things in halves, really. You've got to commit fully. Mm. And obviously, if it, you're struggling to make ends meet, that that's super difficult, isn't it? But that might mean focusing on one thing you do particularly well. Yeah. Not trying to be all things to all people. Um, trusting people who you can tell have a, a different, you know, have a a better skill set than yourself, as we as we I think we touched on earlier, was was really important for me. in, in that, I think if you start in a business you, and you're always going to get a lot of sort of positive feedback in the first instance and it can give you this sense of confidence that oh I can do this I can do that I'm not going to pay someone I'll do it myself but ultimately I think you need to you need to be able to um, delegate responsibility so that, so that you get the best value out of yep. the out of the members of the team you know you might be very good at selling it but it doesn't mean you're very good at branding it or making it and mm. I think it's that being able to focus on on the things you're good at and being true to yourself I would say, but I don't. I don't really feel qualified to give advice. You know, we still feel like a young business. We've got, we've had a level of success, but it, but it's um, it never feels completely like it doesn't feel like a finished thing. Really, yeah. it's it's ongoing. So um, yeah, I would I would probably focus would be the thing really, and and stick to you, stick to your guns about what you know that you do well yeah. really, and and stop doing the things that you know other people do better or or or. Get other people to come in and help you do those things better. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, thanks for being on the show today, Richard. Um, You're welcome. What, what, what's in store for Magic Rock this year? What can people look forward to? Uh,
1: well, we're just starting to think. We just put the new canning line in, uh, so we've, we've got um, the new branding coming through. Obviously, the, the last couple, I think, Common Grounds and Dark Arts will yep. move over into the new cans in the next sort of two or three months. I think new new high wires out in the next couple of weeks and we're just gonna have much, a much better quality of product with better shelf life, and mm. um, we're gonna now start, I think it's time for us to step up into the mainstream, really, so we're gonna be pushing the beer out into some more uh, multiples, all, all being well, um, the core beers, that is. Yep. You know, is. We'll keep doing the specials for the independent stores, but you're gonna hopefully see our core beers in, in lots and lots more places, and that should feed into the next expansion, and yeah, hopefully just more Magic Rock beers uh, that's, that's all it. around. Yes. <laughs> um,
0: <clears throat> now, we presume that everyone listens is aware of Magic Rock, um, but last time my brother-in-law, when he came to Sheffield, had never heard of Magic there Rock. There you go, so there's plenty so, of room. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I said, um, you know, oh, you need to check out um, this brewery. And then um, when I saw him on Christmas Day, it was like, oh, yeah, man, oh, yeah. I went to the office party and the, this guy brought out some of that Magic Rock cannonball, that was amazing. So uh, so for anyone <coughs> <who's> listening <coughs> nice out there that's never heard of Magic Rock, how can they find out about you, pay the brewery and <coughs> have a visit?
1: Yeah, I mean the best, pl- the best place to taste the beers as close to the source as possible would be to come and, come and pay us a visit. I mean if, if you're anywhere in the local Leeds, Manchester, Sheffield area, it's not very difficult at all, we're well connected, 10 minute walk from the station lots of room street food traders every on a weekend uh friday saturday sunday uh outside of that we're stocked uh you know nationally um in most of the good um small retailers and you should see us in some more multiple uh uh, national retailers as the year goes on but i better not just say exactly who those (laughs) are you can probably imagine the usual kind of people um and yeah and the beers are available on the website as well um core beers all year round and specials a couple of months usually so yeah look us up
0: fantastic well, you Magic Rock. thank you thank
1: you cheers
0: thanks for tuning in to the hot ford podcast this week make sure you hit the subscribe button follow us on social media at hot forward beers and visit our website at hotforward.beer for more articles insights and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business until next time cheers right
1: i going to